0: Today's show is brought to you in partnership with GiveSum. GiveSum is a platform that got on my radar last year. I've been watching with anticipation as they built out their solution. What they have built is brilliant. It's an online platform that allows companies who are already giving to seamlessly engage their employees in the experience by allowing them to choose the causes that matter most to them and choosing where the funds are donated. As my listeners know, I believe that corporate giving needs to be at table stakes when it comes to how we as leaders run our companies. And I also know that sometimes those donations and acts of support don't always connect to the people on our teams. Give some solves that problem by creating a bridge where you as a leader can now allow your team to select the causes and charities that matter most to them, and then through the platform itself, receive direct feedback on the impact of those funds. Gone is the need for the once a year town hall or a company-wide email to share the, what causes the org supported last year. Givesome allows your team to pick the charities and get direct feedback on the impact the dollars had. One of the best parts, Givesome does not take a percentage of the donation. 100% of the dollars donated go directly to the charity and to the people who need it the most. Givesome works with your company, and for a set fee, they administer the entire process. If you're already giving, which statistically speaking, you most likely are, visit Givesome.com and find out how you can get your entire company involved in making a difference for the people who need it most. Hello and a Warm Collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest today, Mr. Clark Lie. How are you doing, Clark?
1: I'm good, Tyler. How are you today?
0: I am awesome, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Again, Calgary Conspires, one, two degrees of separation. We, we, we meet, maybe we share partially a, a name in our businesses. I don't know if that's how we met, but you are the chief executive <laughs> officer sir, over at Motive. And let's jump in the elevator. Let's not mess around. Let's go for a quick little elevator ride. What's Motive, what's motive all about? Give us a little bit of your, your, your background, who you guys are, and uh, kind of what you do in the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, like you said, my name is Clark. I'm the CEO at Motive Innovation Group. Um, So at Motive, we operate a portfolio of actually different business lines, um, primarily focused around digital innovation, growth and product development services. Um, Essentially, what we do is we work with clients to help them identify new innovation opportunities within their organization um, and then help create new digital technology solutions to help leverage uh, those opportunities to create new value. Now, obviously, value is a very abstract concept. So the way we look at value is we break it down into three different types of value. So there's operational value. So are there automation or or data types of initiatives where we can help improve operational efficiency? Uh, Then there's customer value, right? Can we improve the customer experience, uh, find opportunities in your existing product line, or create new products uh, to uh, increase the customer experience, customer journey, uh, and as well as maybe the, the lifetime value of your customers, uh, and then finally the third type of value that we look at is ecosystem value. So you know, uh, you know, businesses don't operate alone in 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 our world, right? It's you know, when we look at ecosystem value, it's a bit more kind of abstract. But it's really about how do we deepen your existing relationships? How do we expand your existing relationships as an organization? Um, and then capture the value that is created through those relationships within. Uh, those network effects, which can be really, really powerful in in today 's world, uh,
0: Clark, I feel that 's not the first time you 've been in this elevator that was very that was very well presented, sir <laughs> well done. oh, I have a million questions now. Um, <laughs> I love innovation, but I love how you how you really pinned on the well value what an what an abstract concept, so curious. Yeah. I'm assuming you work with, we'll talk about ideal customer uh, startups, uh, scale-ups and growth and and existing companies, probably a lot of legacy. How does that value equation move around? And I'm assuming you work all the way up and down the chain from, we've got a hell of an idea and we want to go forward. And it's probably very innovative and very technology focused to, I'm an older company and you, you know, you were the operations. So many companies I know now, I know lots of older CEOs and they are hiring new staff. They're like, what is this old way of doing things? Like we can automate this. What are you doing? Like the pressure that's happening in some of those organizations, I think I'll use the word fierce. So in your experience, (laughs) what are you seeing out there? And what's maybe just some of the key differences you see from a very early stage startup scale up to somebody, a a well-established organization that maybe hasn't automated everything in the way that they need to, to keep up with the demands of even new employees.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So I think innovation is, you know, there's a there's an infinite amount of definitions to what innovation means uh, for everybody, right? which is which is a great thing. Um, so from within the scope of, of what we do at Motive, uh, we specialize specifically in digital innovation. So our definition of, inno- of digital innovation is really about leveraging or creating new technologies uh, to, once again, create new value within an organization. And those three types of values pop up again. It's operational value, customer value, and then ecosystem value. Um, so what makes us makes kind of our uh, team quite unique is we have what we call our digital innovation model, which is kind of a four-stage framework that we work through uh, with our clients. Now, our digital innovation model is actually quite flexible. Um, as you mentioned, we work with a wide range of different types of clients, anywhere from startups all the way to uh, SMEs um, and all the way up to large enterprises, um, several Fortune 500s, uh, some of the large banks uh, we work with quite, quite often. And so innovation and their innovative processes can be very, very different between these types of different cultures, right? And so what we try to do is we have um, in our digital innovation model, different levels of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, complexity. So we have a lean model all the way up to what we call a robust model. And so with, you know, uh, more kind of startup culture uh, that, are, that maybe is a bit more, a bit more lean, time, sen- time sensitive, right? They're looking at their runway. Uh, we are able to apply a more lean methodology to create that you know initial MVP, initial uh, launch of, of a new offering. Whereas with uh, larger enterprises, there's you know governance and compliance and uh, regulatory considerations that we have to we have to look at. So we definitely have to be a lot more careful um, when we're going through the innovation process. Um, this isn't so much to say you know it's going to be we you know we're going to be slowed down by by bureaucratic processes but we just may need to make sure that we are hitting all of the right, uh, right right, requirements within that organization. So we try to find a balance while we working with our clients.
0: Are you seeing more of a shift in the mindset for some of those larger? And I appreciate you used some keywords like there's governance, there's, you know, there's a different level. And you mentioned the big banks or just financial institutions yeah, uh, where, you want the, yeah, where you want there to be regulatory as a consumer. I want to know that they're being very diligent. Are you also seeing an appetite now for a lot more sprinting, a lot more, like, I don't want to use the MVP too loosely, but more of an acceptance of that philosophy of like, no, no let's isolate this. Let's put it in a sandbox. Let's test it. Knowing that, you know, a two-year project by the time six months rolls around, it's already changed changed and it's moved around. I've been talking to some other organizations in there, like there's trying to take and borrow some of that startup or fail forward to fail fast and all the buzzy terms and bringing that into large enterprise easier said than done. But are you seeing that increased appetite for going? Yeah, yeah. we know we have all our governments in our regulatory, but we got to put this in its own sandbox or we're never going to be able to even test the idea.
1: Yeah, definitely. So we've been around for almost 10 years now. And so okay, we've right definitely on. been able to see or observe a shift towards working more lean towards more agile methodologies you know kind of like sprint based uh and, and scrumps uh even in the large enterprises um with that being said uh you know the definition of a of what an mvp is in a startup versus what an mvp <laughs> yeah, is in, in a larger enterprise can also differ c- quite a bit um you know and it's it's really it, it is really about re- rel- relativeness uh, so what, what we say is we look at okay well is this mvp can we can we commercialize it is it answering um, the questions that we need about our assumptions is, it, are we able to get good validation, right? That's kind of what we look at in terms of an MVP. Um, now, with that being said, there's also the other side where you don't want to just kind of scrap something together just for the sake of putting it out to the market and collecting some data. Because mm-hmm. what we observe very, very often is now you're launching, let's, you know, basically a half-assed product out into the market. <laughs> no,
0: call it, call it spade and, is spade. I appreciate that. And, yeah, and, yeah.
1: and you know what? The, the, it, and that's fine. But the problem that we see is that, you're now actually incurring so much technical debt in your actual business. Uh, so yeah, what yeah. I mean by that is, you launch your product, um, you get some initial traction, but then you realize that the technical architecture uh, may not be as scalable uh, to actually support this 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 uh, volume of customer base. So now, what do you have to do? You have to go back into engineering mode. You have to then invest on building up and potentially rebuilding this 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 new product. And so you're you're losing a lot of actually opportunity time. You're lo- you're, lo- you're actually losing a lot of momentum. Um, you know, as a startup, you're, you're, you're now spending your, your precious runway on mm-hmm. further product development. So what we always advise our clients, startups or large enterprises, is to you know, really design the MVP in a way that reduces uh, technical debt. We've got to find a balance. and There's, there's, there's a trade-off. Um, in an ideal world, your MVP can grow and evolve into a fully scalable commercial product. Where you're not able, where you're not able to, or you don't have to deal with the technical debt moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but that makes it's always sense. A, it's a balancing act for sure.
0: For the sake of definitions, and I, I don't, and it's just the word tech debt. I'm, it's you know when a word just starts showing up all over the place in your life. Like I didn't really hear it for a while, knew what it was, but I'm hearing so many people reference it now, especially mm-hmm. whether it's VCs and if they're investing in existing. How would you define tech debt? Just to just to level the playing field for our, our listening audience.
1: <laughs> so I look at tech technical debt actually from a, from a business perspective. Okay. Right, the way I see it is: Are you going to have to take a pause in your business and business development uh, to focus back onto the engineering and technical implementation or execution of your product? Um, right, and that you know you waste a lot of opportunity costs. Um, and so, how big is that technical debt? And so, that's what I would look at. Um, so, ironically, I look at technical debt from the a, from, a, from from the business side, if anything.
0: And if I'm um, a if I'm a large organization with a considerable history. I'm going to just have it, it's, 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 yes. you can avoid it, you can mitigate it. But the reality is, is it's a part of daily life. It's, it's on your balance sheet somewhere indirectly or directly.
1: Yes, absolutely. And with large enterprises we have, uh, we have to understand how do we work with, work with it, uh, within those, within those areas um, and how to navigate across the different, uh, the existing technical debt. Um, but then when we're working on new ventures with those enterprises, right, we are able to still still kind of start from, from new. Um, and hopefully we are able to develop a solution where we are able to minimize the technical debt uh, from from the get-go um obviously with startups we have that opportunity as you know they're usually pretty early stages in their product development um, and so we can we can try to uh, give them our our recommendations and suggestions on how to avoid uh, technical debt uh, and maybe even where you know if there is going to be technical debt how can we make a compromise and kind of kind of meet in the middle there
0: I really like and Thank you for helping. You just sh- To me, it was very easy for me to associate that with legacy companies. I got a buddy who's running a company. They've been around for 40 years. They've spun it up and they've brought everything you know, off-prem onto the cloud. And he's constantly talking about their tech tip. But this was a very – like a legacy company that now they're taking into the 21st century or however you want to say it. It was very easy for me to always just by default associate that with older, larger established legacy, maybe not even larger companies that have been around for a while, but I really appreciate what you said about the MVP of like, if we don't build the right foundation and we got to go with jackhammers and break that out and start over because we just learned something new, maybe not the right, it's still a tech debt and it could only, that tech debt could be six months old, but it could be holding you back when your runway is only another six months, but oversimplify it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Having the right foundation uh from the get-go in terms of the 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 technical solution uh, when it comes to your system architecture your data model is going to really pay dividends in the long term right Uh, we really focus on minimizing technical debt ensuring that your product is able to commercialize get to commercialization get to scale without having to go through iterations and iterations right we see all the time startups and as well as large 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 enterprises um you know they 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 build version one and then somehow they throw for whatever reason they go they go silent for a little bit in the market they come out with a new version; it's basically a complete rebuild, right? Well, what they're doing is they're they're, they're cutting their own momentum off, um, and that mm. has business effects.
0: So you're in the room, and you're pitching your case for this what kind of friction exists at that moment we're like no 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 don't worry about that just let's figure out if the idea works we'll go back and fix it later i'm assuming that in your role or this your team's role there's an education that like that feels like you're pushing back sometimes on maybe an idea that that organization that's not their priority in that moment is that is that a reality
1: (laughs) yes Um, we do a lot of (laughs) education uh, in our field Um, but we honestly we really enjoy it we love sharing um, our insights and our perspectives on, on digital innovation, on solution architecture, strategies, on emerging technologies, right? We're seeing a lot of this the really, really fun, interesting stuff nowadays come out with GPT-4 just coming out a couple days ago. Right? Totally. I was reading about um, that this morning. Yeah,
0: totally. We're already
1: exploring that. We're already building prototypes for, for some of our clients and exploring the power of, of, of these new technologies. Uh, blockchain. Augmented reality, mixed reality, these new technologies are all things that we play with. So we love educating our clients. We love uh, learning from them as well because they're the subject matter experts within their industries. Mm-hmm. And then you know what we look at is how do we combine their, their domain expertise with our digital innovation process to really you know create something new, create new ventures. So it's just really that merge. And so it's a really collaborative process. Um, you know, the way we work our first stage is, is called discovery. Right, we work together to discover, you know, potential opportunities or challenges within the organization that where digital innovation might might be a good fit um, to apply uh, to to build a new solution.
0: How much of your process, or maybe you have a stage for this, or called this? Let's talk about the human side of change. And I don't want to go leave the technology window too far, but I was, I've was i had two guests on the last couple of days talking about uh, AI and ML and human centric design and just the reality of, you know, the one gentleman was very honest. He goes, you know, when you're in your career and you build the solution that you know is going to solve the problem, but no one will use it because you didn't really take them into consideration. <laughs> he goes, that's a moment as a And he was a data scientist and uh, and he kind of just being very honest about his journey as he's gotten older and realized how much is that a make or break factor for you and, where, and with what you see in organizations where the tech can be awesome, but the people, quote unquote, are just not ready. They're not there. They weren't brought along. They don't see their own fingerprints. They throw up the roadblocks.
1: Uh, it's huge. It's probably <laughs> the biggest factor by by far. You know, a, a line of code will always execute in the same way that, that you wrote it, right, over <laughs> and over again. So it's very predictable, right? That the, the technology, the product, frankly speaking, is the easy part. Um, you know, dealing it, yeah. with change, uh, change management. Um, is, is a huge part of uh, what we do on an everyday basis with our clients. We really have to help them understand and communicate the level of urgency and as well as what the opportunity looks like. Um, at the same time, we have to discuss, you know, there are risks. Innovation is, is inherently risky and we need to be upfront and transparent about what are the possible risks associated with this with this initiative. Um, so working with, you know, working with, with humans, um, as we all are, uh, is, is always, is always the biggest challenge in Tom. our
0: glorious, in our glorious messiness, what for the companies that, for the organizations you work with, that you partner with that do well on the change management side versus the ones that maybe struggle. And I, I'm putting them into two categories just to oversimplify. Is there some sure. key indicators or some roadmaps or some things that you see? And again, I've been in the agency game for a while. Sometimes when I start working with a client, I start meeting their whole team. I'm like, Oh, okay. I see how this <laughs> is. I see how this is going to go. That's why I've, I've been that's down why. this road before, man. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, that's why this isn't, or why I'm being brought in to solve someone else's problem. Maybe it wasn't the other agency's fault. Maybe it was, eh. what are some <laughs> of the things you see? Like, what are some of the indicators, I guess, the the red flag, let's call the red flags, the red flags that maybe come up, but also the green flags. When you see an organization, you're like, oh, okay, this is going to go well because they, they're they doing X or Y or Z. What are some of the indicators that you've kind of picked up just in your 10 years of experience doing it? Mm. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So kind of I'm going to go back to what you were saying, you know, the, the two groups. So we're obviously very, very generalizing. A hundred percent. We so.
0: apologize to anyone who wants to put themselves in either, <laughs> in either group, but for the sake of good content, we got to make it clear.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So with, with, you know, these, these two groups, we, we actually have kind of uh, internal week. We call them the, the proactive group, right? Okay. Uh, uh-huh. So these the, would be the ones that are, you know, looking proactively for, for opportunities to improve, you know, they have a really great innovation culture. Um, They encourage risk-taking, they encourage trying new things and challenging the status quo, Um, so that's, that's one group. The other group that we call is more of a reactive group. So you know, oh, r- you're more very, you're so very re- kind
0: with your with your titles, Clark. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate I appreciate that the reactive group and the proactive group. Okay, I love it. That's good. I got these written down here for future reference. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the reactive group. No, no. And and so they they're you know they're reacting to to pressures internally or or, or externally, right? So this could be um, uh, competitor pressure. Good. This could be uh, market pressure. Changes in customer. Uh, uh behaviors or or needs uh this could be internal there could be operational changes new technologies um, that are being implemented so um they're they're but they're more in a in a reactionary state um now we we work with both groups actually but we do work with them quite quite differently right so on the on the on the proactive group we are able to maybe start you know jumping to the deep end right away uh, we're able to look at some more um, ambitious initiatives that we can start to prototype, you know, right right in the get-go. Whereas on the reactionary side, we understand their pressures. We understand, um, you know, it, it, we have to kind of ease into some of these initiatives a lot more, um, a lot more slowly. Uh, we look for the quick wins, you know, build confidence, um, in, in the process, build confidence within the team and, and their capabilities, uh, do more upfront training, onboarding and these types of things. Uh, so, so for them to get really familiarized with these processes and these, these new tools. So, you know, both, both types of organizations, they can be successful. Yeah, um, it, it just takes a slightly different approach, for sure.
0: I really appreciate your honesty on that, and very, very, very kindly dis- uh, described as well. You laid that out for you. And is it? Are you, do you see any patterns with big, small, startup, scale up versus uh, you know enterprise that are you know maybe sometimes playing catch up, which can create a reactivity, but you can still have a proactive culture while being like there's a bit of a. I like those two terms, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, right? I mean, I think at the end of the day, even when we are working with. Larger organizations. We're not working with all fifty thousand employees in a row. <laughs> You're right? still so, working
0: with a small group of humans. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, it yeah, just right.
1: happens to be that you know they're they're a very very small team within a much larger entity. Whereas in yeah. a startup, the five people those that might be it. <laughs> That's that everybody. Still, That's that everybody. Is, that is yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. But but you know we're we're still working in these in these small groups of you know let's say five to to ten individuals actively. Mm. Obviously, we have a greater um, set of of uh, usually uh, indirect stakeholders and so on. Um, So, you know, once we're kind of in that kind of workspace, we're collaboration mode, um, the the work approach is, is actually quite similar.
0: I I do love bringing, I think there's an old quote years ago from SCP. It's like, glass towers don't buy software, people do. So just remember, it was like from their brand manager. Like, just remember who you're marketing to, right? (laughs) You're not selling to a big brand and a logo on the side of a building. You're selling to somebody who hopefully you make their life better in some way, right? (laughs) uh, Or make them look good or cover their butt or whatever the case may be, depending on the the politics of your organization. You've said said the word a couple of times and it's an area that I'm constantly interested in. And I find, especially in Western Canada or maybe Canada in general, product development roadmap, product roadmapping, really thinking from a product. And I've heard for a while, of people on the show, I'm like, who are you looking for staff wise, man, if I could find a product manager with eight to 10 years experience, like that would make my life so much better. I can't find them anywhere. How much of that is just the underpinning of, of everything you, I'm imagining, I'm projecting a little bit. It's everything you do. And is, is that one of the areas that you're also looking and constantly looking to get better at? Cause you're always on some type of a product journey with your customers.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We build several dozen products platforms <laughs> right software yeah, right applications experiences or some kind of uh, tools um uh, every single year um so a lot product, product road mapping product uh, project planning uh product management is, is a huge uh you know part of what we do um mm-hmm. however with that being said is we always kind of work backwards we actually start from what is the business objective what is the business goal what is the business model right the way we look at product mm, i don't know if It may be a little bit unintuitive, but we look at product as a delivery vehicle to serve your business model.
0: I I like that because ultimately you're solving someone's you're solutioning someone's problem. This is the vehicle you are able to do that. Yeah, no, I do like that. I like that. A digital
1: product, exactly a digital product, a a digital platform. It's just a it's just a medium. To be able to implement some business model to to solve a problem that your customers have to deliver value and to and to capture some of that that value as a as a business coming back to you, right? So what we always do is we you know we start from what is the business objective, what what is the business model then, um, how do we position this in the market, who are our target customers, you know, uh, what is our unique value proposition, and then we work based on on you know the business model as a north star. Then we start to design. What does the product? What could the product look like? Um, what are the core critical features? What are the nice to haves? Um, and, and go from there. You know, when there's any types of, mm, let's say, uh, con- confusion around, you know, should we should we implement this feature or how should this feature uh, work? We always go refer back to the business model. Well, which option is going to better facilitate and deliver this value that we've designed mm-hmm. um, in in this product. Right. So we, we, we always look at it from the, from the business perspective.
0: How much heavy lifting? Uh, I'm, ge- I'm guessing, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a scenario. So you show up at a company and you're excited and they're excited and they present the problem that's being solved. And your team goes, I don't, I don't I actually, I don't buy into that. I don't think that's actually the problem. I don't like, did, do we, did we really understand, you know, the old joke I love is don't fall in love with the problem, fall in love with your customer's version of the problem. And I find a lot of times with technology, we've all got this Solution running around looking for sometimes a problem to solve. How much is that a factor for companies? And, uh, you know, I guess thinking about that fireside chat of like, I really appreciate the CEO or founder or or, or team lead. I actually don't think this is your problem. here's why is I'm assuming that's a big part of uh, the the, the coaching and counseling part of your work before you get into the work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that that does happen from time to time for sure, and and really it's you know the way we work is really on a relationship basis. So we hope we you know we aim to develop a strong relationship um, where you know we ha- we have the trust and we are able to have that level of honesty to talk about these types of things. And um, you know from our from our perspective, it almost feels like it would be a disservice if we would if we don't share some of those. Well, opinions everybody gets to fail together right? that
0: way, right? We yeah, as a service provider, if it doesn't work for them, it doesn't work for you. ultimately, ultimately.
1: I, yeah. Absolutely. So it, it, it definitely it definitely, definitely happens from time to time. And, you know, we try to be very upfront about, look, we, we've we seen this happen in other yeah, industries where we've seen this happen. You guys in, in have 10 years experience, models. so that helps, right? We, can bring we've that worked in, table. you know, yeah. dozens of different industries, and we've seen maybe similar business models being deployed in other places or in other markets. So we have that experience to bring back to to our clients to go, look, we've seen this happen. And, and here are some of the pitfalls that, um, that we foresee. And um, maybe here are some recommendations as well and solutions of how we could we could we could address address this from the from the very beginning.
0: What's your framework? And I'm assuming because I, I love you. You think in framework, you think in structures, you think in process. I've, I don't know you very well, but I'm getting to know you. What <laughs> is your framework or what methodology do you use to actually validate the problem? To say, yeah, okay, let's, and then let's unpack it and break it apart to then move our way back to our feature set and what the thing's actually going to do. What's that framework look like? Or what are you willing to share? Again, I I love, if it's a part of your secret sauce, that's cool. But uh, anyone listening going, okay, I I want them to walk away and start to think about maybe a problem they're mulling around in their head right
1: now. Mm Yeah. No, nothing Nothing we do is actually you know secret. We actually share everything online. We talk a lot about about what we do, the materials, and, and all of these things. Back to so, being educated. You know, we're trying yeah, to encourage that. more of an yeah. innovation culture, so we have no problem sharing everything that we do. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Um, when it comes to validation, validation is really interesting, and it's it's been something that we've been actually juggling with the last uh, couple of years, the last few years, right? It, is how much validation do we need to get into uh, for each of these you know different critical assumptions or hypotheses that we are that we, that we have identified within a particular mm-hmm. let's say product um the way we look at it is we look at okay what is the um we, we break it down into three different types of like levels of effort i guess low effort medium effort high effort right okay. And yep. um, by looking at each of these uh you know assumptions that we're looking to validate we if it's you know low effort then we'll use a low effort method of validation if it's a high high effort kind of hypotheses or you know really critical um, piece that we have to validate, then we might, you know, spend more time actually creating some kind of prototype um, uh, to, to actually just okay, validate just that one okay. piece. Yeah. But sometimes it could just be a simple, you know, market research, some industry report, and it validates it, right, if it's, if it's yeah. relatively low effort. So it's just kind of making sure we put the proportionate amount of of effort given the given its impact.
0: I I appreciate how do you, how do you gauge it and scale it to make sure you have the appropriate response, the appropriate response. Exactly. How soon or where in the process do you bring in your customers, customers, the ultimate stakeholder at the end of the day, the person whose problem you're solving or world you're making better. And depending, it could be if it's automation or internal, that could be the employees or the frontline workers or the people Mm -hmm. in the call center or whatever the case may be. Uh, how soon in the process around the validation and you're starting to build things, do you get kind of belly to belly with the the end user? We'll just put it that way.
1: Yeah, it's a good point that you actually brought up. That's, you know, our you know, we are building solutions for our customers. Customer, Totally. Right? That could be you know, customers, and but that could also be employees. Um, yeah. In terms of when we start to kind of get face to face and engage with them, uh, we start on day one. We start on day one. We try to get into one on one interviews. We try to get into uh, group good. calls. We try to get into their perspectives uh, right away to understand their challenges, to, re- to understand their their goals and objectives, and how they see. Um, this particular situation or or concept um, the earlier we we find that the earlier we get this feedback the better our initial um, concepts are um, you know we've done this quite a quite a, for, for quite some time now and we it's almost always a, a one-to-one correlation at this point
0: yeah, that makes yeah that, that makes a ton of sense. So let's uh, let's 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 geek out a little bit here. Maybe when all right, we're and you made the comment earlier, like everything is coming on fast and furious from you know OpenAI and the inflection moment of what happened at the end of November, and we all look back and go, that's the day that <laughs> that, that you know AI kind of hit became or literally table talk around the around the world. Uh, what are some of the and let's play the let's play the opposite here. What are some of the technologies that are just a little bit too hype for you? They're just they're so new, it's great and it's fun and it makes for a good article, but it's not really got a level of maturity that you want to, and I, I like to think of technology as like, would you hire them onto your team? No, they're still kind of young. They've got a lot of potential, but that's not ready for the role I need them to play yet. But yeah, it makes for a good article or maybe some good sci-fi. What's on your radar that's cool, but maybe still not quite ready to uh, be hired full-time?
1: So I, I'm, I would say I would consider myself a technologist, right? I really okay. like okay. to explore new technologies. Um, however, with that being said, I think there are some things uh, right now that is being a little bit overhyped. Um, okay. So example of this would be, from for my personal opinion, Luke, would be the metaverse. right? Uh, I, I, good, I don't good, know good how choice. I feel about <laughs> yeah, good choice. You know, the, the, the metaverse and its implications. I mean, there are so many different moving parts that are still in early stages of development. right? When, when we think about metaverse, we're, we're looking at a lot of different types of infrastructure and technologies that need to be uh, commercially ready, scalable, and adopted by, um, by users. Uh, we've got Blockchain. We've got, you know, augmented reality or virtual reality or mixed reality. Uh, we've got the headsets, the software uh, around all of those. We've also need to consider, you know, our network and and five G um, in, in infrastructure. Um, on top of the technology itself, we also have to look at, you know, the the ethical side of things. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, regulatory uh, and compliance issues. I think that we need to look at when it comes to metaverse. So I think there's so there's a lot of work left um, that we need to uh, continue to study and research and understand um, before something like the metaverse can be adopted. Uh, so we worked with um, a, a large financial institution um, uh, in, in Europe actually five years ago. So this is quite a long time ago. Uh, and we looked at the, the, the feasibility of, of leveraging blockchain in terms of their supply chain tracking. Uh, we built prototypes uh, you know, back then it was still quite early stages. The the open source libraries, the the packages were not so well documented. But we ended up to you know scrap together this this prototype. And at the time it was just, you know, it it worked. But the user adoption had, you know, you had to go through hoops. You had to download this plugin and that extension and then and then pull your phone out and then authenticate this and then copy this long gibberish of a token into this platform to sync up, to connect to this account.
0: And the average and then, user has already lost interest at this point.
1: <laughs> ex- exactly. And, yeah. and and for what? So you can see, you know, very, very basic supply chain data that you could still have in um, a very standard relational database. You know, <laughs> um, I, we, we talk about I sh- blockchain. At that metaverse. point, a spreadsheet
0: probably just would have been easier. E-
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like we talk about blockchain and metaverse as, you know, it solves this, this trustless environment. But my, my, my contrarian mind tells me is, but do we not have trust in our current world? You know, we've been building relationships um, and, and creating organizations and groups for, for thousands of years now. You know, if, if, if trust didn't exist inherently in human beings... Um, I don't well, think we the, would have any of this.
0: The concept right? of shared shared belief. We've all now shared in this belief of money, and there are the, these trusting these large brands, and like that is what actually makes our society. The argument, if you get into Yuval Harari and some of Sapiens and that, that exactly. is actually what's allowed us to exchange a piece of worthless paper for banana. And I love that Ex- comparison, exactly. right? <laughs> so yeah, that's a very that's a really good point. And then the, the you know the power that these brands create, which then infers trust. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat>
1: So, I think that's. But, that's but with a few technology. recent bank failures,
0: yeah. uh, which we will name <laughs> nameless right now, I don't know, that trust gets eroded on a regular basis. And then all of a sudden, the boom, the Bitcoin flag gets flown again, of like, we'll see what happens when you can't, when you, when you trust these institutions with maybe more than they should have been trusted with. Anyways, let's not turn this podcast into into a social commentary. <laughs> We're about to slip down a weird road here, but. When when you're looking at technology and when you're looking at it on a broad, and like you said, in my contrarian mind, you've got to think about it with a critical view. And it's not just about technology. There's such broader implications around it all. And you're right, the metaverse is... uh, well, it wouldn't be the first piece of tech that had a hype cycle and had a winter of of, of despair and all the cycles that you know, you go you go through around that. So, uh, I appreciate your you're your picking that one, but also giving a little bit of reason why. Anything else that's a little bit more in your view? And I don't even want to bring up AI because that means so many things, but it's starting mm-hmm. to get defined in different pillars now, which is I think where it's starting to take on different outfits in different contexts, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, no, I think I think overall, I'm I'm very optimistic about the new. Thing the latest technologies that we've seen um i think a couple of years ago i was um a little bit on the the augmented reality mixed reality bandwagon and you know the, the the hardware hadn't quite lived up to what the 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 advertisements made it seem like you had this full immersive experience um, but i think 2023 will actually be a big year in that industry we're seeing um much more uh, technology on the hardware side that is able to create you know wider degrees uh, of view and so we're gonna get. I think I think we're going to see a lot more immersive headsets, um, and that will maybe be the tipping point to create truly you know immersive experiences. So you know I, I look at things in you know from a, from a critical perspective because I you know I really try to my goal is to try to improve things that we have and 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 understand you know with these with these uh, you know advancements what can we do with with them right is is there a is there a commercial is there a business solution uh, where we can where where we can actually take advantage of these of these different technologies um, and solve a problem that we've had.
0: Yeah. I love what you said. Like take what we have and improve on it. Are you seeing a shift? And I've been asking this question a little bit lately because it's, it's it's my own belief, but I'm always open for to be proven right or wrong. Doesn't matter. Right or wrong is almost irrelevant. It's just more information. More people I'm I'm encountering are becoming more aware. I've even just use ChatGPT. All of a sudden, the art of the possible of like oh. I could do like that realization. There feels like there's a lot more openness and a lot more. It's being socialized a lot more in a way that people that are those true subject matter experts and you can be the expert in the technology, but not an expert in the energy sector or the banking sector, and really respecting the co relationship there. I'm feeling like, and I'm curious what your views is that art of the possible is starting to get a little bit more traction because seeing is believing, and you know all that, and you've spent you spent a, a couple hours on on ChatGPT, and you walk away going. Oh shit. And then your brain goes, where could I go with that? That feels mm-hmm. like we're kind of, that feels like it's speeding up in my world. I don't know if you, if you're running into the same kind of thing with calls you're getting even about new ideas and companies wanting to do stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. With, you know, generative AI, um, you know, not just chat GPT or GPT three or four, um, but with other uh, existing new, uh, or new generative AI models nowadays, it definitely opens up um, our eyes for sure in terms of what is possible. You know, for some exciting. reason,
0: we, it's an exciting time yeah, to be live.
1: <laughs> it's it's absolutely exciting. Um, you know, we 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 weren't expecting these types of technologies, these these types of AI models, uh, to 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 be so to, you know to come out so early. Um, so you know, it's definitely opened up our eyes in terms of possibility. Um, right now, uh, we're working with several um, of our clients right now, exploring the, the possibilities of of GPT three, GPT three point five, and now GPT four. Um, GPT four is really, really exciting for us because it's a multimodal model model, right? So now, now you can input. I saw some explanations today
0: of things that it did of like, take a picture of a a table of groceries and it builds this resume, you know, a sketch of an, on a napkin and it builds a functioning website, that abstract connection that blew my, that, that was just like, you know, I had to take a knee for a minute. You know what I mean?
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. There's, there's, there's so much opportunity. And I think um, a big, a big piece that we're actually looking at is in, in, in the field of, uh, education and, and, and training. Yeah. Um, you know, it's potentially, you know, right now we're looking at a teacher for every, you know, let's say 30 students in a classroom, but, you know, let's say, you know, we could use this type of AI almost as an assistant, uh, teacher, right. To create much more personalized, uh, help and support for each individual student. Uh, there's a lot of power in, in what, what, these new AI technologies can, can do for us. So we're, we're extremely optimistic, we're positive about um, the impacts. Now with any technology, it can be used for good and for bad, so there still needs to be some some rules defined around how yeah, we safely I that, use. I find that I find that's but, coming
0: up as like the 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 ethical side of this conversation. I'm hearing a lot more, absolutely. which needs to be because I asked someone the other day. I asked, you know, what could set this back? And he's like, a big ethical, like where people. Back to you with your comment. Right now, there's we're starting to build trust that could be eroded really quickly if AI. You know, got something very public that all of a sudden really showed a huge breach from an ethics perspective, and really damaged a group of people. And, you know, that's what he thought. Like, because not much is going to slow this down, but that could definitely knock it back because you lose trust. Like back to our, so it's so not complicated at the end of the day, right? If you have trust, <laughs> things can go forward. If you don't, it erodes it. Like, we're so complex, but yes, there is some fundamental. The, the base of the pyramid is 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 always is always trust. Uh, Clark, I appreciate your one. Uh, what i'm gaining is your willingness to always look at both sides well yeah i really like this but let's look at the other side and you're you're, you say i think you called your contrarian your contrarian brain if everyone's going in this direction hmm i wonder what's in the other direction (laughs) i can only imagine that that is a critical uh core competency for you one as a leader working in this space we're chasing shiny things it takes a lot of discipline to say well we're maybe we're not going to chase that one just quite yet
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very important to have this type of skill and be able to, you know, have this awareness and uh, an honesty with with each other, with ourselves. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, not everything is is all roses, and everything is is the next greatest thing. We have to look at the, you know, the the potential gaps, the the shortcomings of of this of these uh, different technologies and different business models, strategies, and so on. Right? We have to understand the pros and the cons, um, understand the trade offs, so we can better select yeah. a solution or design a solution. That will hopefully mitigate the the challenges or the gaps that 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 this you know these models might inherently uh possess. So I think you know I, I don't I hope I don't sound as, you know, you know as negative as I, as, I, as maybe it, it, it feels like, but no, not I'm, no, no. I, I'm, a, I'm- You a sound, a little, more realistic. You sound like, a little
0: more realistic, my friend. I I, I, I like that. And you I, drop this good, bad kind of oversimplified uh, identifier and say, well, what are the, what are the, what's the risk? What's the reward? What's the positives? What's the negatives? What's the, co-? and what are the, because comp- there's always a compromise. Like there's always yep. a cost benefit ratio. And if you get too enthusiastic about your ideas, sometimes you overlook those. Sometimes I won't say they are, sometimes I've overlooked those. Let's, let's make it, let's make it real let's make it personal and we all say we love to you know fail fast learn quick but nobody still really likes failing that i know even though we buzz that around <laughs> you know what i mean like oh yeah well, this is the learning about we love failure do you really i don't know i don't know a lot of people that really love it it's just you learn to take everything you can from it and move forward and maybe it doesn't look like a failure it looks like learning and you reframe it a little bit
1: yeah absolutely. <laughs> we're, that's, we're, that's, i can't that's resist that's i'm
0: <laughs> getting philosophical here at the end of this call yeah no that,
1: that, that's, that's exactly what we say too you know i always look around and say i'm, I'm tired of learning
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah completely yeah, yes well said touche how big hey just a little bit of the i always like to give people a little bit of like how big is your team where are you guys located like you're based in calgary you've got team members all over the world what's kind of the makeup of the your org look like
1: yeah absolutely so right now we have about 25 employees in total uh we're primarily based in calgary but we do have uh some some guys uh remote we have some people in uh south america we have nice. some people over overseas in europe and uh a couple in uh, in asia as well in singapore so uh, you know we're slowly expanding. Uh, you know, actually, we've we've, you know, when we started out, we we primarily worked with uh, clients in the U.S. in in, in Europe and uh, down in South America. Uh, it's only been the last you know last few years that we've really been able to focus a lot more on the local scene. Obviously, with the pandemic, um, that's been uh, a key driver for us here. So we're definitely excited to be working more locally. Um, the time zones and the jet lag is not so. Not so great. You get tired of it really quickly. So yeah, it's the a, novelty. Wears it's off, nice yeah, to, yeah <laughs> absolutely. It's it's nice to be working with local clients and also to see the impacts that we're what we're able to create in our local economy. That's that's huge for us, and, and that's something that I'm 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 you know very personally passionate about. So um, it's it's awesome uh, to be working more in the, in the local. And and market. do you
0: think that's also just a reflection of things are shifting in calgary and they you know I, i've talked to a lot of companies on the show they're like i would love to have a customer here but these customers just aren't into what i'm telling and but i've noticed that change like especially in the last 18 to 24 months i've, I've definitely noticed there's a different uh, not to overuse the word ecosystem because it's easy to overuse but the ecosystem in calgary is changing and i'm certainly hearing more stories kind of maybe just the way that you said you said that but yeah no there's a lot more opportunity here now than there even was a couple of years ago mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely the ecosystem here uh, is definitely growing quite a bit. yeah, yeah. No, you can use it uh, it's, we're, the, we're it's the best word it.
0: to use. it works <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, you know in, in all of Alberta we we, we've, we have some clients uh, quite a few clients actually and even in Edmonton and and they're nice. doing some really, really amazing work there right The, the university and, and the post-secondary institutions are working a lot with uh, from what we've seen working with private sector, working with government um, to create some really, really exciting new te- technologies. Uh, you know, for example, we are working with a client here in Calgary, but they partnered with us uh, with uh, uh, firms in, in Edmonton on a artificial intelligence that is able to generate meal plans based on your fitness level, activity level oh, and like, nice. body metrics. Right. Um, it's and this is all coming out of, of, of Calgary. Um, so and, and Edmonton. Uh, I've for, heard nothing. But I've had
0: I've had quite a few people on, but uh, you know, I, I collisions is Calgary, Alberta, Western Canada, kind of in that order. I started off as all Calgary, but it's a, we're we're not in a, nobody's on an island here. I've heard nothing but good things about the tech scene and and the supportive nature of it and the inclusive nature of it in Edmonton. Like I've had a lot of people on the show, and yes. yeah, and there was a period of time where I would say it was maybe ahead of Calgary a little bit, and just because you know you got to have a little rivalry right mm. here. But from anyone who's <laughs> really in the scene and really bought in, it, we're all in it together. Like because we're competing globally, we're not Absolutely. competing with each other. Let's 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 not make that mistake <laughs> it's yes, a much absolutely. it's a much bigger sandbox and the world's the world's a big place and there's a lot of cool shit going on so we, we can't we can't be bickering in the back in the back seat of the car on the road trip right we've got to be focusing on the on the world too um clark what's the best way if someone wants to yeah i was on your website this morning i see uh, there's a new website coming soon shoemakers kids always have holes in their shoes i get i get that <laughs> um yeah. what's the best way for people to get a hold of you guys if they want to learn more or just have a good chat with you mm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we're pretty much on you know LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, right? We have company profiles on all of those, um, all of those platforms. So you can always get in touch with us there. Um, at the same time, you know, we do have a new website coming soon. Um, it's just motive.digital. Uh, right now, so um, you can always check us yeah, and out And your there.
0: contact information and your links to your uh, your LinkedIn and your IG are both on there for sure, and uh, no, I, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate just living in the agency world, always finding time to work on your own stuff. It can be challenging. That's why I, I say that a bit, because I've, I've lived that for many, 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 oh, many, yeah. many years. And what Absolutely. about yourself? If someone wants to chat with you directly, I, this has been a great conversation. I would really encourage anybody to reach out and, and have a chat. I love, I love the way you think about things. And uh, LinkedIn, is that a preferred? That seems to be everybody's... Yeah. LinkedIn seems to be rising above the Uh, uh, the waterline for maybe social media platforms right now
1: (laughs) yeah for sure they can definitely get in touch with me on LinkedIn I'm quite active there Um, amazing
0: Clark I really enjoyed this conversation I appreciate your transparency I love a good framework and I love the way you guys think but I do appreciate your ability to go well yeah but let's look at both sides of, the, of this coin to really be objective about the stuff we work on and that is so critical because if not chasing technologies maybe like going to Vegas thinking you have a system you need to have a plan <laughs> or you can really kind of suck time and energy from from your life and from your business so I appreciate the, the, the balance point of view you brought to that really enjoyed it
1: yeah absolutely thank you for having me Tyler it was a pleasure my pleasure